We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want One of the most important aspects of Harris's game that are gonna that's really gonna be magnified at the NFL level is how fast he's gonna be able to transition from a sideline to sideline approach on a run to get downhill. How many steps does he need? And when it comes to say the short corner like this one where you've got pulling blockers, you can see him work towards the edge, see the force player coming downhill towards that flat. And then basically make a one-step transition, nice opening of the hips, point of the toe, gets through that crease, gets into the open field. Harris, work downfield. There's that plant right there. If it takes more than a couple of steps to do that, that's going to slow him down in the NFL. But for him to be able to make this plant with basically one step and get downhill, that's efficient, especially with his burst because he has better long speed then he has great short area burst. He has short area quickness, which is changing direction. But that initial runway to get up to full speed, he needs a little bit of help. He's going to beat defensive linemen. He's going to beat some linebackers. But he's not going to beat top NFL linebackers and certainly not safeties and cornerbacks. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was the man of the hour, our guest tonight, Mr. Matt Waldman, talking about the potential running back one in this 2021 NFL draft class, Alabama star Najee Harris. Did you not think I was going to get Najee Harris as the lead of the show? See, because because roll tide. I, I trust you, Chris. I trust you in a great number of things. It would have been either that or ETN. And I know for you personally, we go with Najee Harris. Because roll tide. Folks, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. It feels damn good to be out of, out of the back bedroom, out of the garage. <laughs> cracking beers back to the world of the living. Chris, cheers. Cheers. Plus, my last... 
alcoholic podcast for the foreseeable future. Oh. Next week I gotta go. I gotta go dry because we'll do the show, and then I gotta go to work. <laughs> Sucker! Oh, leaving me to have all the fun. It's funny, folks. Um, so last week, last week, the start of our last show, I was talking about the high point and how sitting in on the Isaiah McKenzie happy hour from GoLongTD.com was the highlight of my quarantine. We got some messages from people asking what the low light, what the lowest point of my quarantine was. Chris, you, you might uh, specifically because you have to see it in person every week. You might appreciate this more than most. The lowest point was probably in the early days of it when I was still feeling not just the physical symptoms, but also the mental cloudiness that I was talking about. Just the random onset dyslexia, the random bouts of confusion that didn't seem to make any sense. And I'm sitting there, I'm laying in bed, my wife has brought me just a bunch of stuff to eat. Because she's like, what do you want to eat? And I have no appetite. So I'm just like, I don't know, just bring me whatever. I'll eat whatever you have laying around. She brings me a whole green pepper. And as I'm laying there, just sick, no energy, no no will, to, no, no fight left in me. I'm trying to peel the sticker off of it. And the sticker won't come off. Now, I don't know if that's because I was just incapacitated, not mentally sound enough to get it off, or if it was actually just that well stuck on there. But I fought with it for about five minutes and finally just said, fuck it, and ate the sticker. I ate the sticker on a vegetable knowingly because I just didn't have the willpower to fight it off there. I've seen you do that here. On accident. You just come in with a whole pepper, <laughs> chowing down, talking about something that you witnessed in traffic and why, you know, we need to, you know, Bill Burr's famous, <laughs> Those people famous bit. Yeah. Yeah, Bill, like Bill Burr, every special, he's got to talk about cutting the population. And you come in with a whole green pepper talking about something you saw in traffic and you just chow down on that sticker. I've seen it before. My favorite was the time you saw it and then you just got mad about it. You were like, I hate you. I hate you so much. It's like, what? You're like, you just ate a sticker. Well, shouldn't have been there. Got too close. Oh, folks, hey, we have a stacked podcast for you as we roll into the running back conversation. But I want to talk about something else to kind of set the table for this. So news broke earlier this week about the Jets trading quarterback Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. And while their GM got a decent haul in return, considering what his predecessor gave up to move into the number three spot back in 2018 to draft him, I think it serves as just another glaring indictment of how the Jets despite never drafting in the top three based on their own awful record outside of the year. They, I don't even know if they got Quinn and Williams in the top three, did they? I can't remember. Call in if you know. They didn't get there based on their own awful record, but they could still be viewed as one of the worst NFL front offices over the last decade. I mean, nothing underscored that more for me than the acknowledgement by Pro Football Talk that Darnold's trade makes the, makes the sixth consecutive first-round draft pick that the Jets have traded away prior to the end of the rookie contract. Yeah. I, is that not insanity? I mean, it, it is. Let that sink in. Six consecutive drafts, the Jets have taken guys in the early to middle first round while simultaneously shipping other first-round picks out of town in order to... Like, hey, if you're a first-round draft pick of the Jets and you're coming in the door... 
at the same time as the guy who was drafted three years ago is getting traded away, does that give you any confidence in that team at all as no. a young player entering the league? So what is it, 2012 to 2018? Yeah. They traded away all their first-round picks before their rookie contract. And there's a mix of values when you look at the players that fall into that category. I mean, Darren Lee, okay? Player Bills fans were fighting me on social media because I called him Keith Ellison 2.0. He's failed to make any real NFL impact. Yeah, you called that one. Yeah. D- defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson beat out Kiko Alonso for Defensive Rookie of the Year honors and then became a journeyman. I don't think a better I don't think I've seen a player fall that far that quickly. Maybe except for Kiko. Hilariously enough. Defensive tackle Leonard Williams, who when he was drafted seemed like the steal of that entire draft class was shipped out to the Giants where they were able to unlock his talent and he's now signed a lucrative contract extension after becoming a pretty dominant interior player. Now that last one, that last one, I, I it's probably the most damning of all the trades. I mean, you draft a guy number six overall, Chris, be touted to be one of the most disruptive defensive tackles to come out in, a, in recent history. You fail to develop him you ship him away and watch another team turn him into a franchise player. Probably because their defensive structure is better suited for his skill set. Or maybe they just have better coaches. Yeah, we're about to find that out with Sam Darnold. Exactly. That's what Carolina's banking on. Getting out of this whole mess is just picking up the pieces after the Jets' failure and finding actual value of a player not being utilized by their team. Now, all of our listeners are probably wondering why the hell I'm starting a Bills podcast talking about the New York Jets. Because that dynamic that the Jets have navigated plays somewhat into tonight's discussion. Of all the topics that Bills fans have been at odds over in the early run-up to this 2021 draft, whether or not it's good business to select a running back with pick number 30 has probably been one of them that's gotten the most attention from fans. Would you agree? Yeah, it's like... Pre-draft narratives. Yeah, it's like uh, this year, are we going to be the Chiefs last year? Because, <clears throat> you know, they took uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just so they could get that fifth-year option. Because he's not going to get a second contract with the Chiefs. We all know that. That's... Well, and, and that's, I guess, the... And therein, you kind of hit something for me. I mean... I'll say this. I see both sides. Personally, I see both sides of this running back argument, do or don't. I mean, on one side, our rushing attack was not effective in 2020. It was kind of a drag almost. Like, that's the thing. If you're not going to, if you're going to be the team that doesn't run the football, don't run the football. That's fine. No one's going to crucify you for that. And teams have gotten away with it over the years. It's just when you do run the ball, you have to be effective. If you're gonna, especially if you're doing it in just a limited window. Well, it's a two-way street. Is it the running backs itself missing holes, or is it the offensive <clears throat> line? Well, exactly. So the question is, the running backs, the, the, the rushing attack was bad in 2020. Do we need a premier talent to fix that, or is pick number 30? I mean, I can see this out of it too. Pick number 30 being too high. For a team with Buffalo's current and future needs elsewhere on the roster to justify that kind of investment. So as we sit here preparing to talk about the 2021 running back class, I, I don't, at this point in the show anyway, I don't have a definitive answer for you. But I have another question. Is drafting a running backs in back-to-back years, in, in doing that, did the Bills not obtain enough talent 
to sustain a quality rushing attack or like the Jets have found themselves doing with Leonard Williams, Jamal Adams and other players. Have we simply failed to cultivate an environment where the strengths of those players we've already taken can be maximized to get the results we're looking for? Because here's the thing. You can keep throwing talent at a problem, right? You can keep putting talent on the field. If you're not cultivating that talent and giving it an environment to grow and to bear fruit for you, you might be the New York Jets. (laughs) So we, with the help of tonight's guest, as we get a look up at the makeup of this class and get his opinion on these matters, I want you guys to keep that question in mind throughout this podcast. Because as the Jets have shown us, it sucks being on the wrong side of the ledger when it comes to draft investments and whether or not you have what it takes to maximize that investment. It's going to be important, and it's a big question the Bills are going to have to find a way to answer. And with that, we launch into our conversation, and as it always does, Chris, we take a look at the state of the current Bills roster. When you take a look at the makeup of our current roster, we have, I believe these numbers are updated, I think we have just under $7 million allocated to our running back room as a whole. That's like the uh, the least percentage, right, of any position group has it's, to be running back. It's less than 4%, which is like in the bottom of the NFL. And in that, you have, I'd say, two starters, and I'd put a question mark next to that, too. I mean, at the top of the group, you've got Devin Singletary, okay? After a promising rookie campaign, we all thought Singletary's sophomore effort was going to see him establish himself as a playmaker for our offense. Unfortunately, thanks to some subpar blocking and a new dynamic in terms of utilization with the the growth of our passing attack, nobody saw, you know, but you, when you draft or trade for a Stephon Diggs, you're expecting baby steps coming into 2020, right? Your passing attack is going to grow in baby steps. Especially with a, with a pandemic and uh, not getting the coaching you know, with OTAs mm-hmm. and training camp and yeah. all that nonsense. So in that sort of an environment, nobody saw the explosion of the Bills passing attack coming. I mean, if you were a fan of Josh Allen coming out of college like I was. <laughs> Go ahead. Then, then, then pat you, yourself then, on the back for that yeah, one. Yeah, then you, then you might have seen it. <clears throat> but I think it, it speaks to, to Allen and Diggs getting in some offseason workouts together last year to – sure. Get some chemistry made for this year. But so as that grew and was just hot out of the box, combined with the blocking issues we had, all of our running backs production stagnated. So it's hard to forecast what the value or ceiling of any of these players is. And Singletary's number, are, it's a perfect example. All of his data is a perfect example of this dynamic. I mean, he's a running back who isn't fast. He succeeds more by being slippery. Good contact balance. You know, ability to get upfield, he has decent vision, and it was disappointing to see that despite getting five more rushes than he had in 2019 while splitting carries with Frank Gore, he finished with 92 fewer yards, zero receiving touchdowns, and almost a full yardage of depreciation yards per attempt. It's also somewhat disappointing that he hasn't been more productive. For a second straight year, Singletary finished in the bottom three for runs against stack boxes. Just 4.5% of all of his carries came with extra defenders in the front seven. So if through that lens, you'd think if he was truant, 
he would be able to excel in those sorts of environments, right? Yeah. And yet it didn't pan out. That said, his skill set has value between the 20s and is a well-rounded back that, that generated a ton of yak. I mean, 65% of his total yardage came after contact, which is a trend all our running backs share. It's going to be interesting to see how they, how, they get, how he gets deployed in 21. And then you get Zach Moss. Entering his sophomore year, Moss, physical running back, he's shown you the upside. You know, you see the, the very first game against New England, he was ripping off chunk yardage. He was making plays. But no one's ever going to confuse him for Jonathan Taylor. He doesn't, when he lacks in top end speed, I'd like to think he makes up for in shiftiness. And he's not a home run threat, but he flashed some playmaking ability, playmaking ability, and he can pick up tough chunk yardage, which I think sets him apart from Devin Singletary or Matt Breda or anybody else currently on the roster. Yeah, what was it last year? I make uh, people make a business decision. Yeah, but we didn't see a lot of that. No, we didn't. And, and I think some of that is his overestimation of how much the physicality of his game translates at that level. I think he found, and then around halfway through the season, his numbers really dipped. Now, some of that was just like you saw in the San Francisco game where he got benched after fumbling at the goal line. Oh, yeah. Some of it was just his utilization, and maybe he had done some things to lose some of the trust of the coaching staff, so he saw fewer looks down the stretch. But early on in the season, he was making a more consistent impact. And you you want to see more of that from him. It's just going to be a question of, has he now learned enough about the pro game that he can tailor his play style to something that's, that works at this level? Because I think it was a rude awakening for him to find out that you can't just run through everybody at this level. There's no third and fourth string collegiate DB that no. you're going to mow down who in three years is going to be working at Home Depot. Like that's not a thing. It's not going to happen. Then you got Matt Breda. Breda brings an element to uh, our running back room was really missing just in terms of straight line speed. Now, for anybody who doesn't think that's important, imagine what that means for a rushing attack. On plays like stretch runs, there isn't a defensive coordinator in the NFL who's scared of Zach Moss or Devin Singletary hitting a cutback lane and getting to the second level of their defense because they don't have the they don't have the speed to get outside of the box. They don't have the speed, even if they get behind the linebackers, to beat out a safety in a foot race. They're still dangerous plays, but they're not home run threat type plays. And defensive coordinators aren't going to tailor their play style to that. Because of that, these coordinators deploy their safeties more liberally, even when it comes to defending play action, because if you're not worried about your DBs having to back up that second level of defenders, it makes play action less effective. Now, the Bills ran a ton of play action last year. They were one of the tops in the NFL throwing off of it. It would be nice if you could get some more production because there's an actual threat of a run there. Breda brings a touch of that to our backfield, which I like in the sense that it underscores that at least Brandon Bean recognizes that speed is a problem or a lack thereof. I don't know that Breda's the answer, <laughs> but it at least shows that they're aware of it. And that, that alone is worth him making a veteran minimum contract on our roster, right? 100%. And then you get some other guys. I mean, Taiwan Jones, he's, he's, Taiwan Jones is the guy that I'm never going to forgive for dropping that touchdown pass against New England. Josh Allen could have set another record last year. Or setting up Houston's field goal. <laughs> Taiwan Jones. Yeah, Taiwan Jones. Like, Premier special teams player on a cheap deal. It's sure. always good for. Fine. Whatever. 
Christian Wade and Antonio Williams. <laughs> we're just men- no. we're just mentioning Stop them. It. We're just mentioning them that they are two players on the roster. The, 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 there is an angry segment of Bills Twitter. They get militant when it comes to Christian Wade. <laughs> I don't a, get it. He's athletic. He's made splash plays in the preseason, and he's once again going to be back under the protection of the Intercontinental Tutelage Program. But he's 30. <laughs> he's now 30 years old. You'd hope that by now something is going to translate if it ever will. And if it doesn't, I really need the Christian Wade fan club to tone it down a notch. And then Antonio Williams, he's going to come to camp and try to prove that week 17 wasn't just him being Jonas Gray. For all the for all of those of you who had to go, who? What? Yeah, that's right. Get one good Jonas game. Jonas Gray. Don't... <laughs> but he's physical. He's big. He's got a little bit of foot speed. It'll be interesting to see what they bring to the table. So in terms of draft philosophy, the Buffalo Bills are going to enter 2021 with one of the cheapest running back rooms in the whole NFL. And that's a great thing when you consider all of the contracts that they have coming down the pipeline. Moss and Singletary give them a nice pair of prospects with elite contact balance, as illustrated by both of them finishing 2020 with more than 50% of their total yardage coming after first contact. Singletary was 65%, Moss was 57%. They've each got a different style of play, but they share some traits that I think lets Buffalo make them somewhat interchangeable, which is important to an NFL play caller. You don't want to have to scrap your playbook and change it the moment another running back has to cycle into the game. But that argument keeps being made by fans. Do we need more of an impact player? Now, Chris, we bang this drum all the time. Historically, drafted running backs are highly productive. Running backs in their first three to four years in the NFL, you see a lot of football teams getting cheap utility out of those positions. In fact, some of the league leaders at their positions happen to be running backs on their first deals. I'm of the mindset that Going forward for the foreseeable future, our general manager needs to be drafting running backs every two to three years. If you can get somebody good in the second, third round, they play out that contract and then you just draft another one while signing guys to Breda-like contracts, veteran uh, for veteran presence in the room. Okay, and that's fair. So we're looking at a season where we've just taken running backs and back-to-back seasons. Yeah. Okay? And when you look deeper, you see some things that make you think this position group might not be as high on the uh, overhaul list as some fans might give it credit for. First of all, Bill's players finished 30th in the NFL in yards before contact per attempt. That's a measure of the yards before a defender was able to make first contact with a runner. 30th in the NFL. The teams near us in those categories were Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, Atlanta, all teams that struggled just like we did to move the football on the ground. I mean, the only team, I mean, look at Jacksonville. If Jacksonville doesn't get an all-rookie year performance from James Robinson, their rushing numbers suck. Probably, they would probably take our place in 30th. Because they have no, t- we at least have some talent and some threat of a passing attack. They have Mike Glennon. They have NFL Napoleon Dynamite back there who's not scaring anybody out of the box. The blocking that our running backs got last year clearly was inadequate. 
And yet, despite that lack of success in the run blocking department, the Bills finished seventh in the NFL in yards after contact and were 11th in rushing first downs. And before anyone out there rolls their goddamn eyes at me and says, well, Josh Allen, he did. But our running backs combined for 70 of our 119 total rushing first downs, which is a sign that our running backs do have some spark and that their running style still managed to find some success when you needed them to in small areas. You just couldn't get chunk plays out of your rushing attack. And that's what damned you. So with that in mind, I understand the people who want a running back, who feel like we need to have a running back. But as has been widely discussed, without better blocking, A, is it worth it? And B, does our situation really warrant the early selection that Bills fans, some of you out there, have been just loudly pounding the table for? Hopefully tonight's guest can give us a little insight on that. So with that, we crack a fresh beer. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome to tonight's guest, the Barry White of Draft Podcasting, Mr. Matt <laughs> Waldman. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Not too bad. Was- you have this... Just this soothing baritone voice that I just, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Like, I don't listen to our, our podcasts. I don't go back and re-listen to them because I'm not a professional. I'm not trying to be. But I listen to yours because your voice just has this really soothing quality to it. I'm sure you hear that all the time, right? I, I The joke now, and my wife says, she's like, I can affirm this. So, you know, obviously the... The looks don't match the voice, but I'll say that with when it comes to the voice, that uh, I've had I've had literally guys on Twitter say to me, "You're the only podcast I'm allowed to listen to before we go to bed at night." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I thought about doing the RSP like a slogan saying the RSP podcast, the RSP cast. Um, you know, you know, getting getting other men's wives pregnant everywhere with my voice or something crazy like that, just to like talk trash. But that's a, that's a little too presumptive of me. But I thought it was kind of funny that that I keep hearing that over and over again. Is I I seem to be the only one that 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 wives allow their husbands to listen to when they're when they're all both hanging out at, um, before they go to sleep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. For those of you who live under a rock, Matt Waldman, creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio and the RSP Film Room series that he does, which you heard in the intro to the show talking about a running back prospect that we're going to we're going to have some some I think excellent conversation on because he's on the lips of pretty much every Bills fan. 
you have these this new publication features I was reading this year. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, because with the RSP, one of the things I decided to do is after watching Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley a few years ago, it just became interesting to me what, listening to all the different sites that do metrics on running backs and showing yards after contact. And they, and one of the things that just drove me nuts is as great as Saquon Barkley is, is that he gets credit for 60-yard runs after contact because some guy slaps his thigh pad while he's falling down. And that's more of a product of elusiveness, whereas a guy like Nick Chubb might gain eight yards on a play, but it's because he got seven and a half of them by carrying a defensive tackle on his back who hit him hard in the side, and he's still taking the guy for a ride. Which one's more valuable expression of power, you know? I mean, and so I decided what I was going to do is look at um, yard, you know, contact avoidance and after contact. Um, metrics, and I was going to develop some. And I, this is the first year that I'm starting it, and so for me, it's more entertainment value than I think anything that's going to be like, you know, major, major stuff until we gain enough data for it for the next five to seven years, maybe. Um, but what I look at is the types of contact that that running backs take, whether it's a reach, which is you know could be a slap to the thigh pad, which is easy to defeat if the even if the defender grabs on, because usually it's like a defensive tackle you know, reaching for a, a shoulder pad and maybe holds on long enough for his arm to get extended and, and fall forward and then the, the back keeps continues pulling through it. Or a wrap where someone's able to get both arms around a leg or an arm or a, or a waist um, and whether they can break that, that's kind of a medium level piece of contact. Or um, a hit, which is, you know, obviously going to be the, the most difficult. So I track those three things from each level of defender that's trying to actually deliver that type of contact to a running back. So I'm basically measuring how many wraps were wraps, reaches and hits were, um, you know, attempted and, and able to break through against defensive linemen, linebackers and, and defensive backs. So you're getting to see context as to how often they were able to break those types of contact as well as eluding contact. Man, see, between that, your multi-year dynasty projections, your standard just rankings and all this research you do. I mean, I I waterboard poor Chris with charts. <laughs> I come here with all kinds of unorthodox research and charts made. And Chris is just like, why? Why is this what you're doing with your free time? I would love to see the charting of all this data that you're doing behind the scenes because I bet you it's impressive. And, <laughs> and then a Twitter account security PSA for everybody out there. Man, <laughs> how did you get hacked? How did, how did they get you? Um, okay, so this is kind of actually funny because my wife's like, you won't even, like, if you get an email from me with a link to something, you're like, did you mean to send this? <laughs> or did you mean, you know, I do this even, you know, with, with, with my wife. So Twitter's my oldest account, and I didn't do two-factor authentication. I just forgot, just completely forgot to do it. It's the only account that I didn't do 2FA with. So... Having this account since like 2008 and forgetting the, forgetting about it, um, a, a Dallas writer with about, oh, I don't know, 50, 60,000 views got hacked. And the guy who hacked him emailed me and asked and, and sent me a link to something that they wanted me to see. And I normally would look at that and go, this is BS. And it was a link to Instagram with like a, 
with like a login. And I'm like, I know I'm logged into Instagram, but I had like eight tabs up. I'm in the middle of writing the RSP. I've got like, I'm doing like three, I'm looking at like five different things and it's annoying me. And I finally, it doesn't register to me that this is fishy. Like it would have usually done that. But I was just like, this guy's annoying me. And I almost thought to say, look, I'll look at this later. I don't have time right now. But he was someone that I've dealt with before. And because I responded back and they responded in a way that was like just not suspicious enough for me for it to re- register while I was doing all this, I ended up doing that. And I was like, oh, I just got hacked. <laughs> I know I just did. And then when I went to try and get back in, he had locked me out. But I, they took care of it the next day. It was, you know, I was thankful that Twitter was able to do that. And we got everything straightened out. I was looking at it. I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see this new Matt Waldman account. I had actually searched for your name. And under people, I saw two accounts pop up. And I was like, what the hell is this? Because in my head, I'm thinking, is someone pretending to be Matt Waldman out here? Because if it's a parody account, uh, I'm going to go look and see because if, if it's them photoshopping pictures of you like into Barry White backgrounds, like that would be funny. Like that would be funny to me. Yeah, that's good content. I'm going to go check that out. And instead it was you saying, hey, <laughs> I got hacked. This is my new account until it gets squared away. And I, I just laughed because I was like, he's so much smarter than we are. <laughs> You're so much smarter than we are. We're all and yet even the best of being idiots at any moment. Mm-hmm. I think that's basically the thing about humanity is we are all idiots. We all can have genius moments and all have idiot moments. And I certainly <laughs> have my share, just usually not in public. Even the best can still get got, sir. So as we talk about this year's running back class, I want to start with just kind of a Q&A about the makeup of it. When you look at previous running back classes, I mean, in 2020, you saw that in the first two rounds, there was multiple, I, I use the term stud very sparingly because that <laughs> there's no way to quantify or qualify that, but multiple backs who were impactful for their teams taken in the first two rounds uh, between Clyde Edwards-Lair, Cam Akers, uh, J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon was a player that I, when I saw him come off the board, I was like, Jesus, that, that's a monster reach. He played a role for the limited amount of snaps he saw behind a, a true number one running back. He, he got pretty solid production. But then conversely, you look at 2019. There's only two running backs taken in the top 60. And beyond round three, no one drafted has the... No one drafted has really made any kind of an impact. So through those two lenses, how do you view this class and how do they stack up to those? I think this class is fairly competitive with the last class. Not quite as good um, in terms of maybe the overall depth of all the talent that's available out there. But I think there's enough guys who can be either headliners or significant contributors for a team with promise of becoming headliners down the line. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, you know, you have about, I think you have about three to four backs who should be contributing right away this year. And I think that that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good thing. And then I think there's probably another three to four who could be as good as those backs. Um, Maybe it's unlikely, but I'd say there's one that could be as good as those three to four backs, um, but he may not get an opportunity because of his draft capital um, until maybe a little bit later. Um, 
and then he might wind up being as good as these other backs that started early. And then there's maybe three or four backs who you would look at and say, maybe in two to three years I'll be contributors and one or two of them might surprise well enough. So we're talking about pretty much 10 to 11 backs who have some value that you should be keeping an eye on right now. See, and that's always, I, I love, I like looking at things through that lens and here's why. We talked with Mark Schofield in the podcast that we dropped yesterday previewing wide receivers and tight ends. And we talked about how in the 2020 draft, there was a record set for 13 wide receivers taken in the top two rounds. And this year, you could see that again. This year's class could maybe, depending on team needs, surpass that. And so it's always interesting when you think it, think about it in terms of there's 13 wide receivers last season who were thought highly enough of to be taken in the top 60, whereas running backs and the talent they bring to the table, they're so there's such a limited number by comparison. And so that almost makes them more valuable. I mean, would you agree with that? I can see that. I mean, it's certainly in the short shelf life. So if you hit on one, it's a big deal because the the cliff that they can fall off of rather quickly when you think of James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley as guys who don't even have jobs right now. Um, and three years ago, they were at the top of their game. Um, or at least one was out of football saying, I'm at the top of my game and you need to pay me. And the other two were at the top of their game. Um, so that tells you a lot right there. And I think that, yeah, in that sense, it is. And that's why the, the demand for running back remains high, even if you hear football analysts say they're not worth first round picks because, you know, because of the, the way football is right now. Well, that's one of the things I know our listeners get beat over the head with this, because, again, I chart all kinds of ridiculous things just because I feel like I have to satisfy my own mania about the game of football. I took a look. It was in the run up to the 2020 season. It was 2019's offseason. I took a look at every running back that had eclipsed either a thousand yards or more than five touchdowns. And then I took a look at their contract status. Of the 30 running backs that qualified, 26th of them were on rookie deals. And so it kind of paints the picture that you're not getting good value of a running back on a second contract. It's rare. And I mean, we saw some of that this year with Mark Ingram. Year one of his contract with Baltimore, over a thousand yards, I believe he had 11 rushing touchdowns. And then he entered a season where they drafted a rookie and he was completely phased out of the offense. And it's just, that's a, and luckily his cap hit wasn't prohibitive, but it, it does underscore that running backs, the value isn't there to be paying them a premium. Now, when you talk about this dynamic of highly drafted running backs and we're sitting here talking about whether it makes them more valuable based on the numbers, what is the potential in your mind here for there to be multiple running backs taken in the first round? I think it's pretty low. I think what you're likely to see this year is you may see two to three running backs go off the board in the second round, if that. And then you'll probably see, um, you know, I I would bet you'd say two to three running, two to four running backs between rounds two and three. And then you'll see the bulk of the running backs going off the board in rounds four to six. That low. Okay, so what what would be Matt Waldman's under-over on first-round running backs? If you were to set the line somewhere competitive, where would you put it? One. <laughs> okay. I really do. I think it'll be one or one. Maybe you, you – and, again, I'm not one of those 
one of those draft guys from that standpoint, but 1.5, because when you look at the wide receiver class, this may be the deepest wide receiver class that we have ever seen. doesn't mean it's the best in terms of overall talent, but I have 65 players that I've watched, and there's probably 29 of them who have grades that conceivably mean that they could develop into, you know, worthwhile contributors. That's a lot of wide receivers. And I like to joke that there's the unofficial, uh, the unscientific attrition factor, you know, injuries off field, just an inability to learn, be a good professional, whatever it is. And so I use four to divide by that. So, you know, the fact that there's even seven players that might turn out that way, uh, it seems to, you know, it's still pretty darn high for a wide receiver group. Um, and that that pretty much is enviable of any other draft class we've seen with those guys. And all these slot guys in this class are make it even more fascinating. But it's not even just that. You have these big, tall guys who can play the Hakeem Nicks role or they can play an even bigger, you know, bigger batter kind of role where they can have like the Cortland Sutton type of receivers that are in this class who are maybe a notch below Sutton. But capable. I mean, like better than Tim Patrick, who was very good for the, uh, you know, and I would even say argue better than Gabriel Davis, who was in a lot of ways like that type of player and did well for the Bills. There's guys better than that in this class who are probably who are probably going to get drafted later than Dave, Gabriel Davis did. Wow. See, and that's what I think. <clears throat> there's always makeup dynamics when you look at the various classes that make up a whole draft, which is why I love segmenting out the classes and then kind of comparing how they fall to each other in terms of depth. It's it's really good stuff. And you <laughs> I'm one of those people who sometimes I see things on social media and I don't have I want to respond and tell someone they're wrong, but I just don't have the energy. So I just don't. I just bypass it. I mean, I, I tell Chris all the we joke about it. Uh, being a narcissist is great for social media. Because I, I don't, because I don't care enough about your opinions to try to explain mine to you. I just move on. But if you paid attention to social media, there's huge chunks of different fan bases that would have you believe that there's a race that should take place this uh, draft season for some team to pick either Najee Harris or Travis Etienne, depending on what their specific flavor of running back is. And so it's interesting hearing from you that you think that there's probably only one that's actually going to get taken in the first round. And that seems about right, because that's what happened with last year's class. Even though last year's class bore a lot of fruit, there was just one taken, and it was at the very back end of the first round. And I think a lot of what decides that is going to be if a team falls in love with a specific player at the top of it. And that starts this running back one debate, which has <laughs> been every year I see. I feel like we're having this in recent history. There, ha- there haven't been many true consensus number one running backs. Saquon Barkley might have been the most recent. And before that, maybe Todd Gurley. Most years, maybe just to manufacture headlines or to try to differentiate themselves from other draft outlets. Some guys will go out there and I think commit a little hot takery in terms of I think player X is going to be number one you've got three players that have been talked about most commonly as being running back one. Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and this, uh, am I saying this right, Javante Williams? Javante Williams, Javante Williams. All three of these players being argued as the de facto top of the totem pole here had stellar collegiate production for marquee programs. I mean, maybe not Javante Williams, but he's got that elusive, you know, 
what potential is the the bet. The dirty word here is potential. He hasn't put up the gross stats that the other two have, but he's got the potential to do it. I, I think that muddies these waters a little bit, and that's why it's so so confusing for a lot of fans. In your opinion, based on your research, who do you have as RB one? None of them. Um, but the yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> none of them. I love but it. They're all, but the, but those three that you mentioned are in my top five, and to me, that's enough because your number. You know, that's the whole thing about fans. You know, as a fan, you want to hear who's the number one guy, who's the number one ranked dude, and I get that, like totally get that as a fan. But at the same token, it's also about the grade the player gets, and if you have five players in a grade that you say they merit the opportunity to be a starter right away or a high-end contributor, then it's really at that point not about who's the best. It's about who's the best for your team and what your team does. And I think that that's kind of where we are with a lot of these backs right now today because you look at Najee Harris, and you and he's my highest-ranked guy of those three. So he's my number two back. Um, and... I look at him and, and I think certainly he can play in both a gap or a zone scheme. We'll probably play in a, in a zone scheme uh, with a little mix of gap in between. Great pass catcher, strong receiver, um, has potential as a blocker, but you know has some work to do there because he, he has some flaws that he telegraphs um, to defenders and they take advantage of him. But overall, he's a player that has, you know, you you heard the intro in terms of what I've, you know, how I kind of evaluated some things he does. And, you know, in an offense where you want more of a power back, say like a high, a more, um, a player like Chris Carson with more upside, then that's pretty darn good, you know. And considering that Chris Carson hasn't had much of a, you know, he's had spotty help in terms of his offensive line. And he's an underrated receiver. Well, Najee Harris is a better receiver. He's a little faster, you know. And he's about that. He's about that type of build and style of runner. That's pretty good. Travis Etienne. You look at him, and it's like, all right, you're gonna run gap scheme. You're gonna run a lot of gap, a lot of toss. Gonna run power and counter and and quick hitting plays where you can let him take advantage of that acceleration he has. That's close to special, um, and he can be. And in those types of settings, he could be a good after-contact runner. Um, that would be great. Could he transition well to an, uh, a wide zone scheme? Because usually that's the easiest transition for good gap runners. I think so. And he got better as a zone runner this year. This was He needed that. I know a lot of people last year were like, I don't know why he didn't come out. I'm sitting there raising my hand going, I do. He, <laughs> he, you know, he, he wasn't ready for that yet. But he got better in, in those regards. Now, his fumbling continues to get worse, which is kind of a, a concern. But players have made up for that. Miles Sanders and Sony Michelle are guys who have awful fumble rates, way worse than anything that Etienne has put up. And it's like that you might as well have, like, said that it never happened, you know, when you look at what they do in the NFL. So that's good. Um, so Etienne's interesting, but he's my he's my sixth. I think he's my fifth or my fifth rated running back on the board. And then Javante Williams, I have at my third is my third guy. I think he's the safest guy. And you just mentioned one of them. The guys that he's compared to is Mark Ingram. Does everything well. Um, 
and he, you know, he really understands how to move efficiently, and that's what you got to do as a running back. That's very important as a runner is to be able to. It's not so much about the wild jump cuts and the great speed. It's about having enough speed and burst and enough contact balance and be able to move your feet enough that you're not going way off course to avoid somebody and overreacting to things and wasting movement because you're not going to have a lot of room to maneuver. You want to maneuver smartly. And that's something that Javante Williams does well. He's a good pass protector. He can catch. He just happened to split time with another really sound back who should belong in a lot of people's top five, um, you know, in Michael Carter. Um, so, you know, this is, you know, when you look at these backs, it just depends. Do you want a, do you want a powerful back? You're going to get Najee Harris, especially if you want him to be a receiver who can split outside. You want a, you want a speedy back who's a home run hitter who you're going to use on quick hitting plays and use his receiving skill um, and really threaten defenses with the threat of the, out, the perimeter run. You're going with Travis Etienne. Now, if you want a back who's going to be – you know, who's going to give you a little bit of both, a blend of both, but you, you, you want him to be a guy who can run zone and gap um, and, and carry the load for you if need be, and he can pass protect and he can catch, then, yeah, you're looking at Javante Williams. And I think all three of those guys merit early-round draft capital because teams draft guys in earlier rounds based on risk management, as we've talked about in the past. It's you know, have they had production? Did they play at big time programs? Did they stay healthy? Do they, you know, do they have all the measurements that you're looking for so that if we miss on this guy, that our fans and that our media isn't going to say, you drafted this 5'9", 205 pound back with two ACL injuries who couldn't even keep his um, scholarship at Florida State and wound up at Villanova. And he failed, you know, (laughs) even though Gil Brandt said about this back when I was that got me started in this industry. And it was the first back I ever wrote about and really liked. And it was the first article I ever wrote in fantasy sports. Um, It was because of this. And he said if he were two, two inches taller and 10 pounds heavier, he'd be a top five overall pick. And that made me think about that whole concept I'm talking about. The guy just described was Brian Westbrook and Brian Westbrook went in the second round. You know, but it's the difference between a first and second round pick is Philly didn't want to look like a bunch of chumps if Brian Westbrook didn't didn't succeed. And no other team wanted to look like a bunch of chumps either, you know, because of everything I described. Because mm-hmm. we'd be on here going, what kind of fool would draft a back from with all of this? You know, it's easier to fail when you can support with a bullet point of a resume all these good things. So running back one, then, if these guys all fall outside of it, who who is, in your opinion, if you're an NFL GM and you know running back is your cardinal need and nobody else has taken him, who's your guy? Well, a lot. I found out this week because I've been doing this, you know, I've kind of been doing a tour of podcasts lately. Um, I found out this week when I mentioned this guy um, with uh, Rick Saratella, who talks with a fair number of scouts, and then with Russ Landy, who is the – um, you know, head of scouting for the Montreal Alouettes and some other people who just I talk to in general and they're all like, and I've told them that I liked Trey Sermon um, pretty much above everyone else and okay. I've liked him that way since um, probably about November um, and I don't follow the narrative so it wasn't because he got in the lineup it was because of his Oklahoma tape and then watching some of his Ohio State tape before I got to the rest of it. He just scored out really high. 
And uh, they were like, it's interesting because there are a lot of scouts who believe that in three to four years he will be the best back in this class. Um, so it's interesting that there are scouts who kind of feel the same way. Um, but the reason I like him is that he's a smart runner. He runs both gap and zone. He played in two really excellent programs. Um, he has unbelievable footwork. Like this is a guy that is highly efficient and highly elusive. And, and people mistake that elusiveness because they think he's got to look like Jamal Charles or LaDainian Tomlinson in terms of the way that he cuts or moves. But he's very efficient. He can he can stay downhill while moving away from people, kind of like the way Dalvin, Hill, Dalvin Cook does, um, and do it at top speed. Um, he's very quick, so he sets up cornerbacks and linebackers at the edge easily. He rarely gets hit in the backfield um, when there's penetration. I mean, one of the metrics that I looked at was, you know, getting, you know, dealing with hits from defensive tackles. And every back I watched at least got hit a few times by a defensive tackle. And I watched a ton of Trey Sermon. There was not a single play that I had where he actually even was hit by a defensive tackle. And I know Ohio State's line is very good, but again, are you going to say that Alabama's line isn't good? <laughs> yeah, you know? no. Are you going to say that Clemson's line's not good? You're I mean, talking. So you're talking like, to an official uh, Landon Dickerson stand over here. I I know for a fact yeah. they were good because I watch every game. Right. So you know, I mean, it's like the fact that he didn't have that, and even in Oklahoma, I didn't see it. So you know, I'm 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 watching you know multiple years of this guy and didn't see that. He's just smart. He's quick. He's strong. He's strong and flexible. He's efficient, and so he scored higher than everybody. Does it mean that he's the best back in this class? He's in the same tier as the three best backs I have, and he just graded out the highest. I like him the best. Um, he's not doesn't have super top speed, but he's got sneaky good burst, and he has quick change of direction. And when you put all of that together, he's actually – Grades pretty high by people who do use RAS scoring. Um, he's in the top ninety percent of uh, of backs over the past two thousand backs that like Kent Platt has looked at, and he does this on the internet doing RAS scoring. So all I can say is that it's not a conventional pick, but neither was Nick Chubb over Saquon Barkley. Neither was Marshawn Lynch, just slightly a little higher than Adrian Peterson. I thought Saquon Barkley was one of the most talented backs I've seen in terms of just what he can do. And I, and I used to make people I worked for watch Adrian Peterson the year that he was coming out for the draft before he joined the Vikings because I was so excited about him. But well, I'll tell you what, yeah. your Nick Chubb prognostication won both Chris and I our fantasy leagues. Well, <laughs> if, if there's if there's a bigger I don't know if there's a bigger sales pitch for what for, for the for the RSP in general, it's the fact that you came on this podcast and told us both that you like Nick Chubb as much, if not more, long term than Saquon Barkley, and we both heard that and said, "Okay, late flyer and keeper leagues, let's draft Nick Chubb in the tenth round," and it won us our fantasy leagues. Well, like if, that's if he, <laughs> if he did if he had never got injured in college, I think you had said that he would have been like the best, better, a better prospect than Ezekiel Elliott. So yeah. it, it's just interesting yeah. seeing that dynamic and knowing that Trey Sermon, that's an interesting one. And I'm sure there's fan, there's people listening to this show right now who are just, just cursing in their vehicles. There's someone, I'm sure there's at least a couple things that got thrown when they heard that. You know what? I love it. I love that level because I, 
the results have spoken for themselves. I mean, that's why the RSP is a great resource if you're looking for that kind of stuff, because it takes emotion out of it. And you're just looking yeah. at data and scouting. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't follow the narratives at all. I mean, it's like I watch five to six games a day at least, but I don't watch them like the way people like turn on the TV with their beer and popcorn and watch them in a row on, on TV. I'm watching them every day like I'm at work and it's and it's not from like last week or knowing anything that's going on. I mean, it's literally just me picking. Let me pick something from 2018. Let me pick something that happened last week. Let me pick something that happened two months ago. And I'm just watching from there. And as a result of that, it's like, as I've joked on multiple shows, um, I didn't know that Lamar Jackson won the Heisman until like the following July. And I just found out two weeks ago that Devonta Smith won the Heisman because I don't care about that stuff. I'm trying, I have my own process. And I, and I find that when I stick with that, I, when I make mistakes, I learn how to correct them faster. And as a result of that, and that makes me better at what I do. Chris, can you imagine me watching football without a beer? No. Couldn't be me. I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I like, I like watching Waldman's videos on, on YouTube. So when, you know, I'm grabbing the intro for the show tonight and I'm watching him do, you know, breakdowns on Najee Harris. And, you know, I can faintly hear him in the background smashing that space bar for pause and play and explaining his cuts and, what? you know, everything that makes Najee Harris who he is. Yeah. See, what, 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 what's missing from this, and this is the time of year when Chris really learns a lot about football. He and I watch, we have season tickets together. We watch every game together, every away game in my home. I have zero time or patience to explain the nuance of football to Chris. I just can't do it. I don't have it in me as a person. So he, he learns a lot this time of year talking to guys like you. Now, as we pivot to the Buffalo Bills specifically, now that we've kind of established what you think of this class and some of the highlights of it, first of all, one of the burning debates amongst our fan base is this concept that everyone feels like in 2020, the, I mean, the numbers bear it out. The Bills were one of the poorest rushing attacks in the NFL. And there's, but there's different reasons for that. And our friends over at Cover One have done some great coverage of that. They've got some great yeah. film and some great data as to why our running back struggled. When you look at, because you viewed all of these guys, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, Matt Breda, you've seen all these guys, you've done some work on them. When you, taking what you know about them during their pre-draft pre process and what they've been able to accomplish at the pros, do you think that the Buffalo Bills spending significant draft capital at the running back position to try to enhance their numbers would you view it as a true necessity if you were a GM? Well, here's where I qualify the answer, okay? okay? Because if I'm the GM, then I know whether or not that Zach Moss's moments where it looked like he completely blanked out on making good decisions um, are going to be a continued problem or whether or not they were just kind of a part of a rookie adjustment plan. Um, and then you look at Singletary and you decide, you know what? We got a guy who I think as I talked about two years ago, he's short, he's slow, he's not he's not he doesn't have much acceleration, um, um, but he has unbelievable footwork and unbelievable vision. And if he's the exception to the rule, you, you know, he's gonna get the contributor start and be a successful guy. But you're looking at a guy who's really fighting a lot um, overcoming a lot and have to compensate um, over a lot of things of traits that he doesn't have. And if you and if you look at that and say to yourself, 
we accept the fact that maybe we don't have the running back that we need and that we've got to find somebody who can really combine all the best of these backs and I'd rather clean the slate early and just admit our mistake and move forward and use one of these guys as the backup because Devontas, um, you know, Devin Singletary is a backup. I'm totally with. As a complimentary back, I'm totally with. As you're like every down starter, I, I even from what I've seen thus far, when the Bills get open up the creases as well as they did two years ago, and he's running through these untouched, you know, to get to get these long runways, and he certainly can make people miss in tight creases. There's some real talent there in his game. It's just that he needs a little more help to, to really exploit the best of what he does. Then I'd be okay with him in that kind of change of pace role, especially in space. Um, but Breda isn't that guy as much as I love Matt Breda. Like, if Matt Breda had a history of being healthy, he might be your best back on the team. Like, <laughs> He was. He might have been the best back in San Francisco when he was healthy. He conceptually, physically, he gets it. Understands how to play the game. He he's fantastic when he's healthy, but it, he's always nicked up and has to miss time. So he's that guy that you kind of would rather have as your second, you know, number two or two B back who can be a part of a three-headed rotation, and that's what they got here. And I think that's what they're hoping for, thinking as the GM, and I'm going to try and pretend that I'm in their head, is that they're thinking, we've got three backs we can roll with if we need to, who can do this, and we'll give Moss another shot here, um, and, we, and we'll know what we have. But, you know, if somebody falls that we really like, maybe the Sermon kid we like a lot, or maybe Javonta Williams falls you know further than we thought and he's just sitting there around that we're like yeah we gotta do it and then you can clear the slate of one or two of these backs and and feel like you have a lead back and you're ready to roll see and that's interesting because i'm i just you know we opened the show with a discussion about whether you can create an environment you know we were talking about the jets and how many of their first round picks they've traded away and how some of them have gone on to have success elsewhere, like Leonard Williams. And you look at that and say, well, they went to a team with the right environment to help make them successful. And what I don't like the idea of is throwing good money after bad to try to fix a problem. But I also don't like giving up on something too easily when in reality, you could tweak what you had in-house. You could fix your offensive line. You could maybe with some tweaks into the play calling and maybe some focus on some certain concepts that you ran successfully in the rushing attack, you could promote more success on the ground with what you have rather than sinking more capital to fix a problem that you've two years in a row now draft two years in a row you've drafted a running back. Do we need a third one in a row? Because at that point, <laughs> it almost feels like you're not fixing the problem. But there again, to your point, maybe there's just some limitations with those guys that they selected that just you can't work around. And I think Matt Breda probably, he's the most interesting piece of this to me. Because he has speed, which and he's the only one on the roster who has it. Right. <laughs> and and so pure speed can get overrated. You know, in this offseason of crazy 40 times, has everybody going, oh, my God, players are so much faster. I don't know that any, how I, I hate to question the legitimacy of the pre-draft process. <laughs> but when you see 
30 players who are all just running these blazing 40 times, and it's not at the combine in a controlled environment where everybody's yeah. using the same apparatus in the same environment. So I don't feel like I'm being a jerk and saying this. I don't trust those numbers. Pure speed can be overrated. You know, you, we see it with wide receivers. John Ross hasn't gone on to have a great career, but he was the but his speed made him a top 10 draft pick. Darius Hayward Bay was in the same boat. He was straight line speed guy, got him drafted high because L. Davis is crazy. Doesn't really have a prolific NFL career because speed isn't the only piece of the puzzle, but it has its uses, especially when it comes to running backs. And I'm thinking about Daryl Henderson, a guy who I liked a lot coming out in the draft as a value pick kind of later. And the Rams took him in the third round. And I like the way that the Rams have used him. A lot of stretch runs, a lot of things where his quick decision-making and speed to just get upfield in a hurry forces d- defensive coordinators to make decisions on how they're going to play. And, you know, we opened the show talking about the Bills don't have that speed on the roster outside of Breda, and he's not really <laughs> he's not really all that durable or reliable. So is there a player in your mind, sort of like a Daryl Henderson-type player or a player who could give the Bills that kind of a speed element outside of, say, the top 60? Considering where the Bills needs in the trenches and elsewhere on the roster are, yeah, is there a guy absolutely. you like who fits that role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Virginia Tech running back Khalil Herbert. Um, Khalil Herbert is about the same build as um, Dalvin Cook. He has about the same um, dimensions in terms of athletic skills, metrics that you're looking for as Dalvin Cook. He has a very similar style of running as Dalvin Cook in terms of being efficient to be able to stay downhill and make people miss while doing it. Um, he has some after-contact balance. Um, he's a guy that people talk about a, uh, this really great speedster scat back by the name of Puka Williams, who's a great college player, but I just don't get him as a pro prospect. He was at Kansas. Well, Khalil Hill was backing this kid up in Kansas and overshadowing him on a regular basis and then decided, you know what, enough of this. Let me go to a school that's actually going to start me. And he put up numbers that he got himself on the map, had a great senior bowl. Um, and he's a guy that I honestly think could be a, a lead back in this league. And he has that hot, he has that, that top speed that you're looking for. He has that footwork you're looking for. He has good vision. He can, he can run a variety of um, schemes for you. And, you know, the things he has to work on are things that they can put, you know, they can put Moss in or they could put Singletary in. And it wouldn't matter this year because they could use him as a first and second down back if they want to. And it'd be just fine from that perspective. So he's a guy that really comes to mind. Um, Another one that might not be bad later is Jamar Jefferson, who's a bigger back um, by about five, you know, three to four pounds. But he's a little taller. Um. He's. I like to call him, his nickname for my nickname for him is Toss because basically that's what he likes to run. And the Bills do like to run their share of gap plays. And this guy is a very smooth gliding, faster than you think, back with top end speed, who also has potential to become a little bit more between the tackles for you. Um, so you know those two players fit the bill, and then maybe a third. But I I'm going to give you two more that if it happens. It's kind of like buyer beware. And that's Chuba Hubbard, who I think is basically like Tevin Coleman in a sense. Um, okay. Maybe a little better than what Coleman was, but 
you're looking at a kind of a limited player right now who's got to develop and is never going to be like that great power pad level guy. And then there's Javian Hawkins out of Louisville who is just undersized and you already have undersized backs, but he's fast <laughs> yeah. and he's got that vision and footwork and he's tough and he kind of reminds me a little bit of Clinton Portis in style, but I just I would hate to see the Bills stuck with that situation. Chris, um, the the, the, show, the smallest running back. Chris, again, can you can you just hear it now? Bills Twitter, the Bills draft this guy, and now we have the smallest running back group in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, and I laugh because I think about this as you know a Cleveland Browns fan myself, and and I hear you talk, and I think you know teams like every every team that's in like the Rust Belt area. You know, they're kind of like, I don't want to keep throwing money at this. We can fix this. Let's just fix this. It's just kind of like the same mentality of like everybody who lives up there. It's like you fix your car, you fix your boiler, you fix all the other stuff that you've got that are busted because you're not going to buy a new thing. I mean, come on now. You know, I mean, that's I grew up with that. So I know, you know, it's you know, I'm right. So Chris, he just hit us with some psychology and that's going to jack me up for the rest of the night. Correct. I don't like. I, I'm, I'm a frugal guy, and I like yeah. fixing my. I pride myself. I was just crowing to my exactly. friend today that I'm going to do my own concrete work. Why? Yeah. Because I can. Why pay somebody yeah. else? I'll well, break my back for a week. It's the same. It's the same way in the South. You know, for the most part, if you grew up anywhere like that, it's the same deal. I mean, heck, my wife can. My wife is basically does everything but um, plumbing and electric and literally does it at a high level where people who we have to hire to come in and do something, they're like, and she's not there. They're like, who paid, who tiled that floor? Who, put the, who, who drywalled that for you? Who did this? And it's like, can I have their card? I'm like, no, it's my wife. She doesn't, she doesn't do that for anything else. She used to run a business doing it actually, but like doing all that stuff. But it's the same, it's the same mentality. But the problem is with that is that, yeah, at some point, you, you have to learn when to call it quits and say, you know what, I'm just I'm actually throwing more money in aggravation after bad, um, you know, at this point. And I think with with the bills, they're in this limbo period. I think they're the same period you guys are in is that the, the brass is kind of looking at this and going, we'll roll with it. We'll keep the duct tape on this for as long as we can keep it for right now. Or we'll this thing we jerry rigged that might work through the winter will be OK and we'll take our chances with it busting open, and then we'll say scrap all of this if we have to, unless we come. Unless the the store that we like going to decides they're going to have that fire sale, and we know they've got inventory of this thing that really <laughs> would just upgrade everything. And I think that's what they're doing with the draft with running back. Before we let you go, there's one running back you haven't mentioned that's near and dear to everyone here in Buffalo's heart, and that's Jared Patterson, senior out of Buffalo. Kid put on a show for the ages. I mean, he left Ross Tucker, who I'm not a huge fan of, but eh, to each his own. You know, we've, we've traded barbs. <laughs> he, so, right. We've traded, we've, we've traded uh, podcast barbs. He talked about us, and I thought that that was hysterical because we're just two drunken nobodies. But it was funny to me. Because he was calling the game where Jared Patterson set the NCAA touchdown record, and he was like, I'm out of words. He's like, I'm a guy who gets paid to talk, and I have no more words. 
I don't know how to explain what I'm seeing. <laughs> what do you think about his trajectory to the NFL? Well, first of all, this is funny because as someone who worked with Ross for a year doing his college football podcast every Monday, I, I, I like I like old Ross, but I love working with you guys too. So it's fun to hear that you guys are both trading barbs. Um, <laughs> and so that and I, and yeah, I he's I, good. So that's pretty classic. Um, but then I'll say Jared Patterson. I wanted to love him. I wanted to love Jared Patterson when I first watched him. I could only like him. And it's like, and I hope I'm wrong. Like, if there's a player that I hope I'm wrong about, it's him. Because I, I think he has just enough speed to, to be a high-end contributor, but not enough that a team's going to want him to be their starter every week. He's not, he's big, but not tall. Um, so it's kind of like Tariq Cohen in that sense, where it's like, are, is there going to be a team that's going to give him the opportunity to be the guy? And I think Tariq Cohen is unbelievably talented. You watch him in that first year, and when John Fox was sending him out as a receiver against Atlanta, I was like, <laughs> weeks later, I'm thinking, why aren't they doing this with him anymore? Like, they should have been doing this, like, every week with this guy. Then, then they don't use them the way they need to in Chicago. So um, he could be relegated to that kind of an NFL role. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted I wanted Patterson to be the next D'Angelo Williams. That was what I was hoping I would see dimensionally from him. That he would be bigger and maybe he'd be in that two ten, two fifteen range, a little taller. And if he could, the skills he has are very D'Angelo Williams like. But they're not on the level of D'Angelo Williams in terms of athletic traits. And that's what does it for me. So contributor, yes. I don't think he's a long-term starter. <sighs> Mr. Waldman, we appreciate you, as always, giving us your time. Where can people find the RSP and where can they find you on social? Sure. You can find me at Matt Waldman on Twitter. You can find me on YouTube. Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room with over 560 videos and 10,000 subscribers to that. Um, and you can find me at Mount or mountwaldmanrsp.com. That's where you can get the rookie scouting portfolio, um, pre-draft, post-draft newsletter, all twenty-one ninety-five. Matt Waldman, the rookie scouting portfolio. He's on Twitter at Matt Waldman. But if he does get hacked again, you can follow his other account at Matt Waldman RSP on Twitter. But I think he, I think he knows now. He won't, get, he won't get hacked again. I think he's learned a lesson yes. here and all that. And I th- and listen, it happens to everybody. That's why I think it's so funny to bring up, guys. PSA: You can't trust anything. Everyone gets hacked. It's, a, it's just, it's, it's a matter of time. The best part is, if it ever happens to me, I mean, I got, a, I got one of those emails where it's like. Hey, I know what the password to your computer is. And if you don't send me a thousand Bitcoin, I'm going to send like, what was it? It was like, oh, I hacked your computer. Here's your password. Just so you know, I'm telling you the truth. And I have an inappropriate video of you that I'm going to email to all of your contacts. If you don't give me a thousand Bitcoin, which I laughed at because they were right. They had my password. But what they don't know is I have no shame. I don't care if they send an inappropriate video of me to send it to my parents. You know what they'll say? They'll go, the, the kid. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, if I looked like you, I would also have no shame because you're ugly. <sighs> so, Matt Waldman just dropped a bomb on us. I, I Great interview, as always, which is why we love having him on here. And I love the fact that he works, has worked with and is friends with Ross Tucker. That whole situation was just funny. It really was. 
Now, Chris, you personally, when we talk about what this running back class is, now that you've heard all this and we've had a chance to digest it, I want to circle back. How do you feel now, having picked someone's brain who's highly researched on the subject, running back at 30? Now, how do you feel about it? I don't think we're going to go running back at 30. I think we've got other positions to to look at at 30. What would your emotional response be if they did it? I'd be fine with it because if they are drafting a running back, I think they're drafting a running back for competition to Singletary. Really? Yeah. I would I would assume Moss and Breda are going to be backs on the roster and if they draft one that player will be competing with Singletary because it's a I mean, bold stance. Well, I mean, what does he have one year left? Two years left on his yeah. rookie deal? And I'm not like I said earlier, I'm not of this mindset of you know, you don't you shouldn't give a running back a, a second contract. This should just become a thing where you recycle running backs every couple of years and keep them on a rookie deal. I, there's merit to that. There's merit. We've talked about it. I personally, after hearing this, see, and this is what's interesting because I've watched Najee Harris. I've spent years watching Najee Harris be a dynamic running back. So with that in mind, it's interesting to me that he puts a Trey Sermon and puts potentially a Travis Etienne and potentially a Javante Williams above Najee Harris. It makes me think that maybe the value is there where you take a running back this year. You just don't prioritize it the way these, you know, the lunatic fringes of draft Twitter and fan bases on social media might be pounding the table for because through that, through this conversation, the one through line for me has been, I don't think, because he's right, I am a cheapskate. I don't like this concept of continuing to throw money at something that ultimately didn't keep us from reaching the AFC title game. Right? Yeah. I don't Given the team's other needs, I can't justify that. But now hearing the way that this class breaks down in his mind... That almost makes me confident that there will be talent in this running back group there if the Bills decide to put it off until pick 90. Until pick, you know, into the late third round, fourth round. Talent that could be viewed as an upgrade over what we currently have. I I like the idea of that. Or a running back that has uh, return skills. Because we don't have a set returner. Well, I mean, my Isaiah McKenzie's going to get first crack, but... Yeah, Allegedly. We, we, we don't, by his own admission, but we don't know how that's going to go. And we don't know what the plan beyond that is, like we talked about with Schofield during our wide receiver preview in our last show. So this is all great food for thought, but I can, can we, right now, raise a glass? For me, the idea of a running back at 30 is dead. What about you? Yeah, I'm not, not for it. Bang! Take that. <laughs> Take that, just mull it over, think about everything that's happened here tonight and come back to us. Let us know, Bills Mafia, where would you be comfortable taking a running back? Most comfortable, especially after hearing this conversation. Tweet us at Rock Report. Let us know. 
the person who gets the closest to getting it right, if the Bills do draft a running back and where, give us the round. You don't even have to guess the player. Just give us the round and the pick. Whoever's closest, you'll score yourself a free pizza from Wise Guys Pizzeria here in South Buffalo. I think it's fair, right, Chris? Yeah, I got a lot of coupons in the drawer. Damn straight we do. But guys, this conversation's been fun. It's been a, it's been a blast just being out of the fucking house. I feel alive! I feel like I could do anything. I feel like I could pick up a car right now. Yeah. Well, what's great... Well, it's probably what, the beer. Well, what's great is that you spent most of your quarantine uh, doing all Dude. prep that you need to for every position because... Not just draft prep. I built... Which we're going to host Kentley Platty, which I think it's fun that he, he mentioned him during the podcast. I built a relative athletic score database breaking down every single Brandon Bean draft pick by total RAS score, size grade, speed grade, highest metric, lowest metric, my own little commentary that I throw in there for for good measure, and then a depth chart of anybody who started under Sean McDermott broken out by RAS score. That's what I did during quarantine, folks. Don't get COVID because you'll end up like me building ridiculous charts. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun, guys. Hopefully you all learned something. We got to get the hell out of here, though. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Matt Waldman. And this has been the Rock Pal Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.